0: This week on Choice Hacking. If you're listening to this podcast, you might already know who won the Super Bowl. And despite that amazing rendition of the Super Bowl shuffle, it wasn't the Chicago Bears, at least not this year. And since I'm recording this podcast just a few days after the big game and sports are in the air, I wanted to take a look at the biggest sportswear brand of all time. You guessed it. This week, we're talking about Nike. Nike <laughs> Founded in 1964, Nike started with only $1,200 in the bank. Now worth $38 billion, they control nearly 50% of the global athletic shoe market. But how did Nike go from being a scrappy startup to the undisputed kings of sportswear? Turns out they applied some fascinating psychology and behavioral science principles to help them grow. Consciously or not? I'm Jennifer Kleinhens, and you're listening to Choice Hacking, a podcast about applying behavioral science and psychology to marketing and product design. Join me today as we examine the behavioral science principles that have helped turn Nike into the powerhouse it is today, and how you can apply some of their strategies to your own work. But before we get started, let's give a shout out to the company that helps bring you this podcast, Calendly. Calendly is the modern scheduling platform that makes finding time fast and simple. I love Calendly and use it to schedule podcast interviews, time with my consulting clients, and catch-ups with the Choice Hacking team. It makes finding times to meet across multiple time zones less of a pain. Because when connecting is easy, your teams can get more done. To learn more about how Calendly can help you, just visit choicehacking.com forward slash Calendly. That's choicehacking.com forward slash Calendly, spelled C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. Now on to the show. The story of Nike is really the story of two men, Phil Knight, its CEO, and Bill Bowerman, a legendary Olympic track coach. Way before Nike existed, Bowerman was Phil Knight's coach at the University of Oregon. Obsessed with experimentation, Bowerman was constantly tinkering with the track team's shoes to improve their performance — everything from shaving down insoles to reduce weight, to pouring rubber into a waffle iron to create a more efficient sole. Because Phil Knight was a mediocre runner with less to lose than the star athletes, his beef became Bill Bowerman's laboratory. The two men became business partners in what eventually would be known as Nike, but started life as a company called Blue Ribbon Sports. At the start, they didn't even make their own shoes — they were resellers for Onatsuka Tiger brand shoes, imported from Japan. But eventually, Nike began creating their own innovative and unique products focused on the track and field market. And as a new business, their first goal was to establish trust with potential customers. Bowerman and Knight knew the best way to do that was to get accomplished runners to wear their shoes, taking advantage of something called authority bias. This principle says that people tend to trust and be persuaded by those in positions of power, like professors or experts in their fields. When professional runners wore Nikes, like the legendary long-distance runner Steven Prefontaine, Knight and Bowerman knew it would make their shoes must-haves for amateurs and hobbyists, expanding their brand beyond the professional track and field market, because amateur joggers would look at pros like Pre as authorities on which brands to trust. Phil Knight has even said that in the early days they, quote, didn't do any marketing at all. And instead, they focused on what we'd now call working with influencers. And I hate to break it to Phil, but that is a kind of marketing. The rise of Nike might have happened before social media, but their strategies share a lot in common with the modern-day rise of the athletic wear brand Gymshark, who used fitness influencers on Instagram in a very similar way. We're going to talk about how psychology drove Gymshark's rise in a future episode. But for now, the lesson is this. Getting experts in your field to vouch for a new product can go a really long way in getting people to trust you enough to take a chance on your brand. And that's as true today as it was way back in the 1960s. Brands have known for a long time that celebrity partnerships can work to build trust, but they also take advantage of another behavioral science principle, the halo effect. It describes people's tendency to let one positive trait guide their overall opinion of something. It's why studies show that tall and attractive people make more money and are more popular with their peers and even get lighter prison sentences than those who are considered less attractive. Or in this case, it's why celebrity-endorsed products result in more sales. And Nike are masters of the halo effect, starting with probably the greatest partnership in marketing history. Back now, it seems like a no-brainer for Michael Jordan to partner with Nike on a shoe. But back in 1984, when he was shopping for a shoe partner, Nike was still focused on track and field shoes, and they were relatively tiny. In fact, Jordan himself approached Converse, which was the brand that big players like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson worked with. Converse, in probably one of the stupidest moves in business history, told Jordan he wouldn't get priority, because at the time, he wasn't a big name. So Jordan went to Adidas, who, because of their own internal corporate issues, told him that a shoe partnership, quote, wasn't possible. Michael Jordan's third choice — one that he had to be persuaded by his mother to even listen to — was Nike. Michael Jordan helped Nike develop his shoe, the Air Jordan, and he actually wore the shoes in the NBA for a year before they were available for purchase. The first time he wore them in a game, the League fined him because they didn't match his uniform, and told Jordan that if he continued to wear the shoes, he'd be fined $5,000 a game. But Nike knew a marketing opportunity when they saw one. They agreed to pay the $5,000 a game for Jordan to wear the shoes, and then they began spinning the fine into a legend — a legend of shoes that were so revolutionary that they were banned by the NBA. And as Michael Jordan's talent took off, so did the shoe. Eventually, the Jordan brand would be worth more than $10 billion. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. From the earliest days of Just Do It, Nike has excelled at marketing that doesn't just appeal to our rational minds, but our emotions as well. Ads like these have set Nike apart from most other athletic companies. Their decades-long partnership with advertising agency Widen Kennedy paved the way for brands to create more emotional advertising. For many years, other sportswear brands focused on product features or new technology in their ads, while Nike linked customers to its brand through the emotion of sport. There's science behind this approach. It's a principle called emotional salience. When something is emotionally salient, it arouses our emotions. We're more likely to remember emotionally salient moments, whether it's an experience or an ad. And when a brand creates emotional salience for customers, its products are more likely to be chosen over a competitor's. Steve Jobs even said that you could sum up Nike's marketing strategy in just two words. No products. When people think about Nike basketball, they usually think of Air Jordan. But did you know there's actually three sub-brands in Nike basketball? Air Jordan, Air Flight, and Air Force. Why? Well, there's lots of ways to play basketball. Michael Jordan was known for his air-like style, big leaps over the heads of defensive players, lightning fast, and of course, his famous dunk. But eventually, after a dip in sales, Nike realized that not everybody played basketball like Mike. So Nike invented The Flight, a light and flexible shoe for faster playstyles, represented by Scottie Pippen, and Force, a more solid shoe for aggressive playstyles, represented by Charles Barkley, but some say immortalized by the rapper Nelly. In my <laughs> Phil Knight summed up Nike's strategy this way, quote, "...as we thought about it, we realized that there are different styles of playing basketball. Not every great player has the style of Michael Jordan, and if we tried to make Air Jordan appeal to everyone, it would lose its meaning. We had to slice up basketball itself." Nike found that they had to break their big brand, Nike Basketball, into smaller sub-brands to make it easier for customers to know what products they'd prefer. The psychology behind this is a principle called chunking. It says that people's brains need to break down big sets of information into smaller chunks to understand and retain it. Our brains can then take those smaller chunks of information, put them into groups that have meaning for us, and also helps us more easily make a decision. That's why breaking all of Nike basketball down into Air Jordans, Flight, and Force worked. The categories were easy for customers to understand. It made each sub-brand more meaningful because Force, Flight, and Air were for different people, and Nike sent a clear message about what made each shoe special. Nike knows what few other brands do that focusing on what motivates customers can drive massive growth. Although Nike might be savvy in applying psychology and behavioral science, they don't just nudge customers. They use these principles in a way that drives short-term sales conversions and long-term brand growth, and know that their real competition isn't other brands, but themselves. As Phil Knight put it, quote, "'Beating the competition is relatively easy. "'Beating yourself is a never-ending commitment.'" Thank you for listening to the Choice Hacking Podcast. Don't forget, you can learn more about behavioral science and psychology applied to business when you subscribe to the free Choice Hacking newsletter. You'll join more than 5,000 brilliant UX, CX, and marketing folks from companies like Uber, Google, Coke, and Disney. To sign up, just visit choicehacking.com forward slash subscribe. That's choicehacking.com forward slash subscribe. Until next time. you can't ignore it i'm transforming now these cars and planes i'm always boarding just out touring down in charlotte like i play for hornets